please pray with me. Heavenly Father, your word reminded us this morning that your word is sharper than any two-edged sword. And we just ask, Lord, that it would be gentle with us this morning as it opens us up to how we might be the disciples you've called us to be. And Lord, that as we marvel, as the people did in Matthew 22, at your ability to ask questions to questions, we pray that through this message, we too would be questioning people so that they would come to see you and know you for who you are, the God of grace and truth. Take our minds now and think through them. Take my lips and speak through them. Take our wills and bend them to your own. And take our hearts and set them on fire with love for you and for your son, Jesus Christ. For it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Please be seated. Apologist Michael Ramsden was doing his doctoral studies at the University of Sheffield, and he lived in a little village outside of Sheffield named Worksop. Isn't that a great name? Worksop. You know, a little village, about as sexy as its name says. Um, but he had to get a haircut one day, so he walked into this crowded barbershop, and the only chair that was available was a, a wonderful woman who was eight months pregnant. She goes, I'll cut your hair. Have a seat. And while he's sitting down and she's preparing him for his haircut, she looks over at the, at the barber next to her and goes, this is absolutely unbelievable. My business is so good. I have no explanations for it. Literally, my chair is filled from the time the shop opens till the time it closes. It's wonderful. I have no explanation for it. So Michael is listening to this conversation. And she starts to cut his hair and everything. And he says, you know, you're not made happy by what you acquire, but rather by what you appreciate. She's cutting his hair and goes, i got to write that down. So she starts to write that down. And she continues the haircut. And he said, furthermore, uh, I've discovered it's not that we have nothing to be grateful for, but rather that we have no one to be grateful to. She stops and goes, that's really good. And she writes it down again. And so, you know, she, she started talking to him. You know, I'm about to bring this child into this world, and the world is just so messed up. I'm, I'm terrified. How can you be a good parent in a world such as this? So Michael says, well, you know, love is, is something that I express, yet for the potential of there to be love, there also has to be the potential for evil. And the problem is not the evil that's out there. The problem is the evil that's in here. She goes, that's amazing. And she writes that down. And she, she starts to cut his hair again. And, and she says, if there could be something to be done about the evil in the human heart, that would be something, isn't it? He goes, absolutely. We need a rescue. We need a savior. She goes, my goodness, that's a good word. And so she writes all this down. And his haircut takes an hour, and his hair is about as thick as mine. <laughs> well, he pays her, and he goes out, and he comes back a month later because he really wants to follow up. He really didn't need a haircut, but he, he just wanted to follow up with her, if at all possible. And so he walks to the shop, and her chair is empty, and she goes, Michael, I will cut your hair. Sit down. She said, you know, after I cut your hair, I took my pad of paper and went home to my husband and shared everything you told me. He goes, really? What did you say? <laughs> she 
She put out a pad of paper and she said, you know, I, I told him, you know, you're not made happy by what you acquire, but rather by what you appreciate. And it's not that we have nothing to be grateful for, but that we have someone to be grateful to. <laughs> and if we have to love people, and for the potential to be loved, there also is potential, e- potential for evil. And therefore, it's not that we have to deal with the evil that's out there. We have to deal with the evil that's in here, that we need a rescuer. We need a savior. And he said, well, how did he receive that? She said, he told me I was preaching to him. And she was. What's the difference? The difference is that she was asking questions and he was not. She was engaged with the statement that he listened to her and threw out a statement. He was fishing to see where she was going. And he furthered up with questions to her questions. That's brilliant. That's Michael Ramson. We're not all called to be Michael Ramson, but we are all called to share the good news. We're in this series called Contagious Christianity. I've titled it because my prayer for 15 years is that we would have a spiritual pandemic that spreads through the Christ Church community through our community. And therefore, just by us breathing and breathing on other people, spiritually speaking, they would come to know Jesus Christ. And so, two weeks ago, we talked about the reality that people need the Lord. God is real. He hasn't hidden himself. And three, we need to get a good grasp on the gospel. And last week, we learned that all of us can do this. It doesn't, you know, take anything for someone to say to another person, come and see, or to make them a meal. Some people are really direct. Some people are very intellectual. You look back, I encourage you to go back to that sermon and find where your style best fits. But the reality is to get to that place usually comes through asking questions and talking to people. And we can all do that. 1 Peter 3.15 says, But in your hearts, honor Christ the Lord as always, always being prepared to give a defense for the reason for the hope that you have. But do this with gentleness and respect. It's going to be on my tombstone. So when you walk by, you're going to say, yep, he said that. Why? Because we haven't done this with gentleness and respect. We've just thrown Bible verses at people. We've debated and we've been thrown into conversations And people have gotten angry and what have you. No. We're learning to be contagious Christianity. And so therefore, my friends, today we go that step further and we learn to ask questions. But might I add, it all starts on our knees in prayer. That we're going to ask the Lord to move through our lives and show us where he's at work around us. And when we do that, he honors that. And I add always, Lord, I I beg of you, help me not to miss where you're at work because I'm selfish and self-centered and I I got my own agenda throughout the day. We all are busy, right? Sometimes the Lord plots people right in our path and we walk by them. No, we're to give a defense. So we start with prayer. Number one, asking the Lord to reveal to us. Two, we listen like Michael listened to her, just and ask reflective questions back. And as we listen, questions will come. 
and that's what we're going to talk about today. That word defense is from the Greek word apologia. That's where we get the word apologetics that Peter uses. Always to make a defense for the reason for the hope that you have. Acts 26, when Paul appears before King Agrippa, he says, King Agrippa, I make my defense. Apologia. And so the reality, it's not just giving answers to people's questions. It's asking questions of other people's answers and asking questions of the questions themselves. Like a Jewish rabbi whose frustrated student walked up to him and said, Rabbi, why do you always answer a question with a question? To which the rabbi responded, why shouldn't I answer a question with a question? If you count them, Jesus and all the gospel asked 150 questions, and they're all great. And we do marvel at them. Do you remember when your kids were little? Some of you have little kids. You wish they'd stop asking questions, right? Okay? Just question after question. Why, 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 why? No, this message, I pray, is going to help you to further conversations with your friends and loved ones. You have grown kids who, who have walked away, perhaps. This is a way to further conversation with them. Further conversation with good friends you grew up with who no longer follow Christ. We all are put in a position to be contagious. So before we even look at some of the questions, it's worth asking why is asking questions so important? The first reason is that it opens up people to their own uh, presuppositions, their own assumptions. For example, in Luke 18, the rich young ruler comes to him, good teacher. What must I do to inherit eternal life? What does Jesus say? Why do you call me good? What's Jesus doing? He's getting them to define who God is. Because his God isn't the one true God. His God is what? His riches. That's why we call him the rich young ruler. Right? And he's forcing him to think about who God actually is because this rich young ruler, it was revealed to him himself that he wasn't willing to let go of those things and follow Jesus. Jesus didn't do that with everybody, but he did with him because his God was his materialism. We have people like that around us. Number two, asking questions also forces people in their cultural assumptions and every culture around the world has biblical beliefs and non-biblical beliefs. Matthew 22, the very passage we heard this morning as Jesus was asked, do we pay taxes to Caesar or not? What does Jesus say? They were trying to trap him. So Jesus responds with a question. Whose head is this on the coin? Caesar. Pay your taxes to Caesar, which you owe him. Pay to God, which you owe him. Which is what? Everything. What makes you holy is what you render to God. And people try to trap us in the cultural debates, right? Are you for abortion? Yes or no? See, the world thinks it's about freedom and choice. But that's not the question question is, when is it ever 
right to kill an innocent person? Never. See, it's an issue of life, and life takes priority. You see, the right answer to the wrong question is always the wrong question. And Jesus is getting the question beneath the question so that they can understand what they're really asking, where they really are, and what they really believe. And when you're doing this, at times, my friends, sometimes people will feel pinned down because they have nowhere to go. So you've got to be aware of what's happening here. Because if they get mad, you lose. And if you get mad, you lose. <laughs> and so I use the phrase that Randy Pope t- talks about in the journey, lean in to the conversation and if they step back, you step back. Because the Holy Spirit's not at work. If you lean in and they lean in, you keep asking questions and talking and, and listening and praying. Asking questions forces them to own their own assumptions and their own cultural assumptions. The third thing that asking questions does is exposes contradictions. You've heard it said. I had it said two years ago in, uh, at Jake's. Guy was an avowed atheist, he said. And so he said, Padre, there's no such thing as truth. You've heard me say this, right? You sure about that? You certain about that? Yeah. Well, then you've just stated a truth, that you're certain about that. Therefore, what you're saying is not true. It's a, it's a contradiction. He's contradicting himself in that statement. He doesn't even realize it. That's what people say. So ask questions of such people because that's exactly what it does. It's so far easier than trying to come up with a, a, an intellectual response. And so it's, it's vital, especially with people that are relativists like that. Because if they say there's no such thing as truth, then what they're saying, that it's true that there's no such thing as truth. And if it's true that there's no such thing as truth, then that what they are saying isn't true. Okay? That's not, that's not Gene's brilliance. That's just fact, logic. All right? It exposes contradictions. The last thing that asking questions does is it exposes people's motives about why they live the life they live. Luke 20. Pharisees come up to Jesus and say, by whose authority are you saying such things? What does Jesus do? He says, the baptism of John, was it from God or man? I don't know. Well, we won't simply answer you either. We have people who are motivated to live the lives they want to live for no other reason than they took a religion class at Ohio State, Miami, Kent, OU, you know, Toledo, and they think they're an expert on religious affairs now. Because they took Religion 101 with Professor Snurdly, who was a very intelligent person, but was never asked a critical question in class either. Do you believe everything your college professors told you? Exactly. No. All right? So why now? 
No, my friends. We can't know a heart, but we can all ask questions. It's important for us to do so. So I encourage you to turn to the back of your bulletin. And there's a couple questions I didn't put in there that I'll put in there next week now I'm thinking about it. Because to lead people into these types of conversations, you can always ask, what do you mean by blank, whatever it is? What do you mean by God? What do you mean? To you, who is Jesus? Because oftentimes when you just ask, to you, who is Jesus? It's not Jesus. It's probably the Jesus you used to think Jesus was. And therefore, you can use it as a lead-in to just simply reading the Bible with people, which we're going to talk about next week, sharing one-to-one. Okay? But after a couple of questions, what do you mean by blank? How did you reach that conclusion based on what? And I have had someone say, well, I took a religion class at Ohio State. I go, well, who was your professor? You know, what did they believe? Do you believe everything your professor says? You know, I think, you know, just because some person who's very intelligent has an opinion doesn't mean that you have to accept it. What is true? What is true? But every single one of us have to have an explanation for our origin, our meaning, our morality, and our destiny. We can do that. And so after a couple of questions, I usually go to that first question on the top of the page for a seeker or a skeptic. Hypothetically, if all your questions had answers that provided more reasons to believe in God than not, what would you do? Most people say to me to that question, I don't know. If the person says, you know, if I had more reasons, I'm not going to do anything. I'm going to keep living the way I want to. They just step back, so you step back, right? But if they say, I don't know, or, you know, if if everything, I, I would be a believer. All right, then you go to question two. My invitation is twofold. First, I want to invite you to, in a future investigation of your questions, in the meantime, pray every day, God, if you're out there, reveal yourself to me. While, every week, we're going to read John's biography together. What do you think? It's only, we'll, just, we'll start off next week for a half hour. It's only going to take, you know, we'll read the first 18 verses. If it's useless, fine. But what do you think about that? It's important that we put the ball in their court and we assess where they are. And so all these questions, you know, you could just say, you know, the Bible is the best-selling book in the world. Have you ever wondered what it says? really about who Jesus is? Those first 18 verses of John's biography say some incredible things that I think are going to surprise you. And so I'll buy you the beverage of your choice. It'll take about a half hour. What do you think? See, we all can do this. And I want us to notice on verse 22 of Matthew 26, what the Herodians and Fer- disciples of the Pharisees' response to Jesus' question. When they heard it, they marveled, but they walked away. Brothers and sisters, our response is the exact opposite. Oh, we marvel. 
And it really is amazing when you really get into studying Jesus' questions. But we don't stop there. We, as his followers, worship him. What a Savior. What a Lord. And, and we're not called to leave, but to follow him and to cling to him. To give back to God all of our lives, every area of our lives. For the one who's given us life and breath and salvation and sanctification. Given us his son, his spirit. And therefore, we give back to him our adoration our allegiance, our treasures, our talents, our intellects, our bodies, and our souls. My experience over these past 15 years, I have never once had anybody walk away from these conversations angry. They might avoid me, but they're not angry. And let's not be that guy who just pulls a Bible verse out of his hat and bangs people on the head with it. No, with, with gentleness and respect, ask questions. Interesting. How'd you reach that conclusion? Based on what? And further conversations so that they may too catch Jesus. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we are grateful that we can come to you this day and see the beauty of who you are, Lord Jesus Christ, and just the brilliant questions that you ask, that we might ask such questions. And so we ask you, Holy Spirit, to fill us. Give us eyes to see you at work. We beg of you to help us not to miss that work and that you would do a wonderful work in and through us as we seek to follow you again. And that we'd be a contagious place, Lord, because of the good work you've done in each and every one of us. For in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.